0: You are listening to a Cold Lake Community Church podcast. We hope today's message inspires you. Cold Lake Community Church, a place where families connect. Wow. Great. Well, you know, Melanie talking about taxes got me thinking about my taxes. I guess tis the season very soon, isn't it? Oh, sorry. I was on my wrong slide. Oh, look at that. Taxes for dummies. How did that get there? It's like Melanie knew. You know, I was actually reflecting on my own taxes this week because Natalie gave me my T4 slip last week. And I was kind of reflecting on, you know, how much our taxes have to say about who we are as people. You know, like the person sitting in Ottawa that's processing or Winnipeg or wherever it is is processing my tax return. I was just thinking about how much they actually know about my life through my tax return. You know, like, yes, they know my income. But, you know, beyond that, they also know that you know, I'm one of the, the lucky ones this year that will receive a refund this year that the government owes money back to. You know, they'll, they'll see that I'm a, a college student and that a portion of my tuition gets rebated back to me. You know, they'd see my career, that I'm a pastor. And as a member of the clergy, there's, there's particular um, ways that you file your taxes and, and deductions for that. You know, thirdly, they would see that I'm, I'm somebody who um, gives to charity, that I'm a tither at my local church, and that I give to other Christian ministries and have a compassion child and, and things like that, which our tax system rewards us for, for giving to, to charities and, and licensed charities in Canada. You know, they'll know a little bit about maybe some of my future ambitions, the fact that I have a, a, a work pension and an RSP, you know, they have they know that I have a wife and two dependent children, which I get to file. You know, it really got me thinking. This person, whoever it is, knows a lot about me and I know nothing about them. You know, I've never been audited in my taxes. Maybe have any of you in here ever had a had an audit of your taxes? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I've never been audited. I hear that an audit, whether it be in, in a business or or even in your personal taxes can be quite an intrusive process. You know, but it got me thinking. You know, if it wasn't just our finances that were being audited or a tax return, but our entire lives, what would that audit reveal about our life? What would it tell an objective observer about what's important to us, what our values are, And how comfortable would you be with the current conclusions that it would make? What would it say about how you spend your time and your money? What would it say about your family life and your relationships with your spouse and your kids or maybe your parents? If someone analyzed your commitment to God and and the progression of your spiritual walk, what would it reveal? You know, behind all those questions is a bigger question that I want to ask you about this morning, and that is, what is the driving force in your life today? What is that thing that gets you out of bed, that gets you excited about living? You know, we're all driven by something. You know, for many people, it's their career. We're a very career-driven society where you know, both men and women are, are striving to, to get to the top of, of some sort of ladder often. You know, we also live in a very affluent society where material possessions are many. And it can be so easy to fall into the trap of seeking materialism and that being the thing that drives us. You know, the interesting thing about, about our careers is it's the place where we exchange our life for money. And I'm always surprised by how many people suffer in jobs for years and years and years that they can't handle, that bring them nothing but misery, and they'll stay there. They'll stay there out of fear that maybe they can't get something else, or they'll stay there because I don't know what the reason is, but it's heartbreaking to think that we'll trade our entire working life, sometimes 40 years, for something that Maybe God has not called us to. Maybe we have no passion for. Maybe we don't have the aptitude for. But maybe we just, you know, created a lifestyle in which we now depend on that job to pay the bills and we feel trapped. You know, some people are driven by guilt. You know, often these sorts of people run from their pasts, like to forget their mistakes, although the, the regrets are always right there like a shadow. You know, often the hardest thing to do when you are driven by guilt is to forgive yourself. You know, sometimes you may have harmed somebody in the past and they've forgiven you, but you can't forgive yourself. God never called us to be a people who are driven and motivated by guilt or shame. You know, some people may make decisions primarily motivated by fear You know, often this is a hard thing to recognize and even admit in our lives. You know, fear of the unknown can make it so that we always play it safe, preventing us from taking healthy risks, even when you feel like God is prompting and directing you to do so. You know, some people motivated by fear will turn to control, wanting to control people and situations. You know, human beings were never created to be ruled over by fear and insecurity. You know, others are driven for the need of approval of others. You know, people motivated by approval often tend to be followers and fail to reach their potential as a leader in whatever sphere that they work in. You know, adolescence is one of those stages of of human development where we begin to make bigger and bigger life decisions. And often, um, our friends and our peer groups have a lot of sway and the decisions that that young people make. You know, peer pressure often causes students to do things that they would otherwise not do. You know, I remember one time I had a a group of friends and there's this big wall in this really busy uh, walking path and it was at that time of the year where all the crab apples on this tree had all like shrunk and shriveled and were rotting and were just like a mess. You could barely take them off without them exploding in your hand. And my friends were taking these Crab apples off the tree, and they're like throwing them over this giant wall where people were walking and people were getting splattered with crab apples. And everything in me was like, This is horrible. I would hate to have crab apples splatter all over me. Like, it's disgusting. But I'm 14, I'm there, and they're doing it, and they think it's so fun, and somebody hands me a crab apple, so what do I do? I throw it over the wall. Splat. I don't know if I hit someone or not, because I only threw one, and I felt so bad. I'm like, I'm out of here. I'm not up for this. But, um, you know, peer pressure is a huge thing for young people, and really for anybody. You know, sometimes even as adults, we think that somehow we're over it, that somehow we don't care what people think, we don't care what the neighbors think, we don't care what our coworkers think. But often that's not true, is it? Often we care a lot about what people think. Sometimes too much. And we'll let their opinions drive our life. And often it's not even their opinions. It's what we think they may be thinking drive our life. Which is even worse because the chances are they're not even thinking it. It can be very presumptive at times. You know, a couple years ago in Calgary, there were eight teenage boys who snuck into Canada Olympic Park. If you don't know what Canada Olympic Park is, it's where they hosted the 1998 Winter Olympics. And so it's it's a beautiful facility. I'm sure it's getting aged now. I'm sure it probably needs a few upgrades, but there were eight teenage boys that thought it would be a wonderful idea to take their snow sleds and ride down the bobsled run. Anyone that's ever been in a bobsled, I, I haven't, but I've seen cool runnings, and I know the risks of bobsleds. It's dangerous, and uh, it wasn't good for these guys. Unfortunately, um, six of them were quite severely injured, and two of these young men lost their lives. You know, Rick Warren, a pastor of Saddleback Church, says being controlled by the opinions of others is a guaranteed way to miss out on God's purpose for your life. Living life without meaning and trying to find purpose by pleasing others will never satisfy or fulfill that longing in the human heart. As Christians, we're not to be predominantly motivated by the same things that motivate the world. God wants us to be in the world, but not of it. We're now of a new substance. We have an awakened spirit man who is alive. Our spirit is now connected with Christ. We are one with Christ, which means we are one with the triune God, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And our motivation should be driven from that relationship and from our identity in who we are as sons and daughters of Christ, of of God. So what exactly does it mean, then, to be motivated to live for the glory of God? Well, it means to trust him to lead and guide us in all areas of our lives, in the big decisions and the small decisions. It means that we're motivated by the call of God on our lives to play the role that God has assigned to us faithfully. You know, 1 Peter 4.11 says, whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified. That is the life that we've been called to live, one that brings glory to God every day, by every action, by every word, by every motivation of our heart, is to bring glory to God. We only have one life. We got one chance. Like my grandpa used to say, one kick at the can on this side of the eternity to get it right. This, in a way, is a dress rehearsal for eternity. What and who we live for matters. What motivates our lives matters. Like Pastor Cynthia, when she was talking about the parenting conference, she referenced scriptures about how man looks at the outward appearance of life but God looks at our heart. When God looks at our heart, it means he looks at our heart motives, not just the things that we do. And we can do th- good things with, the, with ill motive. And we can do things that seem good to the world and actually displease God because we were walking in a disobedience to the move in the spirit of God. Every person one day will stand before God and we will give an account for the life for which we've led. Romans 14, 10 to 12 says, For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us shall give an account of himself to God. Jesus said in John 14, 6, that I am the way the truth, and the life. And he said that nobody comes to the Father except through me. What we do with the person of Jesus and what he said and what he taught is the metric by which we will be judged by God. You know, everyone in this room that has heard the good news of the gospel has come face to face with the kingdom of God. You know, we live in a broken world that's filled with pain, evil, and suffering. You know, we have to confront that reality. You know, God had a plan to deal with that brokenness and the evil of this world, and his plan was coming to earth in human flesh as a man to reckon with evil and sin so that we would not be consumed by it, so that we would have a way out, so that we could have life in his son. God sent his son Jesus to earth because he loves us, God didn't leave us to rot in a state of brokenness and despair. He did not forsake the human race, but he came into the world to save us. The Bible says Jesus lived a sinless life, taught about the kingdom of God, showed us what it means to walk in love, to love our neighbors and even our enemies. He demonstrated what an abiding relationship with the Father looks like. Jesus showed compassion to the poor, and to the hurting, by healing the sick, and casting out demons, and fulfilled the Father's will in every way. You know, this too is God's will for us, that we would be filled with the Spirit, that we would walk in the power of the Spirit, and that we would fulfill God's will in and through our lives. You know, Jesus was taken to to a tomb, to to the cross, like a lamb to the slaughter, and he was murdered there. He died and rose from the dead three days later, demonstrating that he had conquered the powers of darkness and had overcome death. 1 Peter 3.18 says, Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. He suffered physical death, but he was raised to life in the Spirit. The Bible tells us that all who turn away From sin and trust in Jesus will have their sins forgiven and can walk in confidence that they have eternal life in the Son of God. You know, today, everybody in this room is now of two categories. You've all just heard a really short example of the good news of the gospel and what God has done for you. And so you're now either a person who's heard the gospel and is deciding if or what you're going to do about it Or you're somebody who's heard the gospel and responded to it in the past, who's still hopefully persevering and serving Jesus today. You know, there's really only two choices. Embrace the truth that Jesus died for you and surrender your life to him. Or disregard that truth and keep living your life as you were. But the third option that oft sometimes we try to take is not really a real option to receive Christ and then keep living your life as you were that's not what called us god has called us to do or be but he called us to follow after him it requires laying down our lives it's an exchange of our old life for a new life one that's filled with hope one that's filled with power by the holy spirit It's not just adding to our life to make our life better. It's giving us a whole new life. A whole new life. Regardless of how we're currently living, one day we will all stand before God. And all that will ultimately matter is if you accepted what Jesus did for you and how well you learn to love and trust him with your life. You know, as Christians, we're called to be led by the Spirit of God, and therefore we should be motivated to do the will of God in our lives. Living for God requires sacrifice. You know, it can be a hard road to follow Jesus. It requires being willing to experience difficulties for Christ, walking through persecution, maybe even ridicule from friends. You know, in many places around the world, Christians suffer severely. There were times in the past where Christians were thrown into coliseums, into pits with lions, that they were crucified on stakes, that they were murdered just because they professed Jesus as Lord and not some earthly king who reigned over man. Following Jesus requires being willing to experience difficulty for the name of Jesus. You know, 1 Peter 4, 1-2 to says, so then, since Christ suffered physical pain, you must arm yourselves with the same attitude that he had and be ready to suffer too. For if you've suffered physically for Christ, you have finished, you are finished with sin. You won't spend the rest of your lives chasing your own desires, but you'll be anxious to do the will of God. You know, I think sometimes in the North American context, we want it both ways. We want all the blessing of God in this life, And we don't want any of of the cost of what it means to follow Jesus. We try to avoid the persecution. We try to avoid the hard conversations. But we're to arm ourselves with the same attitude of Christ, which was to do the Father's will regardless of the circumstances that we're in. Today, are you willing to serve God faithfully, even if it means trials? and difficulties ahead of you for doing so? Are you willing to give up your comforts, your leisure activities, your passions, your desires, maybe even some of your careers if God were to ask you to? You know, when we accept Christ into our lives, it's not for the purpose of having a get-out-of-jail-free card. You know, it's the beginning of a relationship with God. It's the start of a spiritual journey with Christ, our Creator, our Savior, and our God. God doesn't promise our lives to become perfect in that moment, but he promises to be with us every day and to empower us to do what is right in all circumstances. You know, at CLCC, we do our best to share the gospel and to help lead others to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. You know, this is what we're called to do, but we also need to be careful not to approach the salvation call as the finish line. You know, really, when we lead somebody to Jesus, we're simply helping someone set up at the start line, a line that they then have to cross. The problem with treating the moment of salvation like the finish line is that we then may leave people stranded at the start of their race. You know, they're new in the Lord, and they don't know what to do next. They're young in faith, and they need guidance and support to help them grow deeper in the things of God. You know, we're meant to make disciples and not just converts. Disciples invest in the lives of others. Teach others what they know about God. Disciples study the Bible with their friends, with their spouses, with their kids. Disciples do Christian life together in community. Not in isolation. In Acts 2, when the Spirit of God moved and thousands were being added to the church... During the early years, it says in verse 42 that they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. Day by day, it says in 46, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all people, And the Lord was adding to their numbers day by day those who were being saved. You know, so often in our modern day lives, we're so isolated from other people. You know, we work all day and then we come home and we roll into our driveway or into our garage and the door closes behind us and we go into our homes. We may, you know, eat supper and watch TV till bed. Spend a lot of our time alone, isolated from our friends and our neighbors and from other Christian people. And it's possible to be part of a church and be incredibly lonely because you have no friends, you have no connections, no real deep relationships within a church to help you grow, to have a brother and sister to walk with you, to be able to help you in all areas of of your life, to do life together. You know, being part of a church and becoming a Christian is not about joining a social club. It's, It's about becoming part of a family. You know, the family of God, the commitment to serve Christ is only the beginning of an amazing journey that we are intended to walk out together. The truth is we do not cross the finish line until we breathe our last breath. The Bible often talks about the Christian life as a race. Paul urges us to run that race well. Hebrews 12, 1-3 says, Lay aside every encumbrance and the sin that so easily entangles us And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. I was going to ask Olivia if you'd come up. You know, regarding running a race, Paul says steer clear of anything that will negatively affect your life and your relationship with God. We need to avoid recommitting the sins and mistakes of our past. Stop running the Christian race as though it's just a short jog. I start treating it like a long endurance run that requires perseverance, dedication, and commitment. Your God has called us to be a living sacrifice, a living sacrifice. It requires commitment and endurance. Jesus never promised that following him would be easy, carefree, and free from challenges. But when you run the race that God has called you to, it also doesn't mean that you will never stumble at time to time. But it means that you will have the endurance to get back up when you do. As long as we keep our eyes on Jesus and run the race with the support of one another... We'll be able to overcome all things through Christ. You know, there are two critically important things that I just want to reiterate as I close this morning. First, what have you decided concerning the person of Jesus? And have you surrendered your life to him? The gospel is good news that God loves you and has a plan for your life. He desires that you would accept the truth that Jesus died for you. And if you don't have a relationship with him today, What are you going to do about it? What's your response going to be? Are you willing to believe in him and trust him with your entire life, with your family, with your career, with your finances, with your hopes and your dreams, with your fears, with your regrets? Or would you rather carry all those burdens on your own? Are you willing to believe and trust in him with your whole life, and be reunited with God through his son, become part of the family of God. Second, for those that know Christ, what have you done with the new life that God has given you? What is your record from the moment that you said, yes, Jesus, I will follow you till today? Have you been running the race Willing to be a disciple and disciple others? Are you willing to invest in the process of living in community? Of being discipled yourselves and making disciples of others as he's called us to do? The Christian life can't be done in isolation, church. And it's so much more than just gathering on a Sunday morning is living life together. is walking with friends and family and doing life together. And so as we close this morning, I just want you to reflect on those two questions. And if you're in the room and you don't know who Jesus is and you'd like to take a step in that direction, you want to know more about what it means to follow Jesus and how you can do that, I want to invite you to come on up. And myself or other members of our prayer team will pray with you and discuss that with you. But I also want to give you a moment this morning to reflect on your Christian walk, those of you that are Christians. And if there's any area of your life that you still need to surrender to God to surrender it, and if there's areas of your life that you need to still commit to God to commit it, And to take an inventory of your life. Maybe take your own audit. And find the areas of your life that you're dissatisfied, that you know you're not living to the capacity that God's called you. And ask yourself if you're willing to do what it takes to change it. And if you are, and you'd like help doing that, that's why you are here. And that's why we are a church and that's why we're a family to help each other through that process of living life together, of following Jesus together. Nobody has it down perfect. We're all in process and we're all on the journey. We're all at different places in that journey. But God's given us each other and he's given us this Holy Spirit to guide, direct, and lead us as we pursue him and seek his face. So Father, I just thank you This morning, Lord, I thank you, God, that you are faithful. God, I thank you, Lord, that you are the author and the perfecter of our faith. And Lord, that if we are are new to the faith and we're trying to figure out what does it mean now to walk out a Christian life, what does it mean to follow you, God, I pray that we'd find the answers together as a church. And God, I pray, Lord, that we would rediscover what it means to be a disciple and to disciple others. Lord, that you would train us and prepare us, God, for the next move of God that you want to bring to this city. So, God, that we're prepared. Lord, teach us, show us what it means to be a disciple. You know, this church, if every single one of us in this room were to lead one person to Jesus in 2020 and disciple them, walk with them, do life with them, show them what it means to be a follower of Jesus. By 2021, this room would be twice the size, everyone just leading one person. Within two years, if every one of those people did the same, our church would quadruple in, four year, in two years. And it's not by having the pastor with the mostest or having the best lead team or having the best worship pastor. It's by every one of us being obedient to the call of God on our lives, to be obedient to serve and love those in our sphere of influences, in the workplaces that we work in, in the schools that we work in, in the oil field that we work in, in our government offices, on the military base, in the local college, at the grocery store, Everywhere we go. And just being a light in the darkness to people who are desperately seeking something more. That they know there's something more, but they just don't know what it is. You have been listening to Cold Lake Community Church Podcast. We hope that you've been blessed by this teaching from Cold Lake Community Church. Thank you for your continued support of this ministry. Cold Lake Community Church, a place where families connect.